proceed out of his mouth and straight into our hearts, that we might be compelled to act in accordance with your will. We thank you for Michael and Jennifer, Lord God. We thank you for their family and the blessing that is coming out of their ministry. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We sing it, we yearn for it, we ask for it, but how do we get it? How do we get it? Is it by the shedding of blood? Because that's, that, that's our example. How do we get it? We want it so bad and we, we cry out as a group to it. Uh, do I have an expectation that the word would be good tonight? Yes. 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 I do. Because I know if I was to stand before you and give you what I wanted to give you because I love y'all, I would want to encourage you. And I want to pamper you with the word, the good things, right? Sure. But I know it's from the Lord because it's a, a difficult word, and he does this to me all the time. And I'm fine with that. So, so what I might share with you tonight is a little bit of things of my thoughts that I wrote down. Uh, might preach a little bit. Might teach a little bit. We'll see. And since I needed to do that, I needed to learn, okay, what is it to preach then? And how do you deliver a word? And so, um, so I got some encouragement from a former preacher named Charles Finney. He gave me a checklist of preaching. Did a checklist. Do this. Check, check, check. And by the time you're done, if you do these things, you'll come out okay. One, preach that no Christians need to do anything. Teach them that they are safe and heaven-bound, even if their lives are disobedient and rebellious. Ooh. <laughs> Check. Yeah, listen. This is a checklist. How to, how to preach without getting anybody converted. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going somewhere. Aim to make your hearers pleased with themselves and pleased with you. And be careful especially not to wound their feelings of anybody. Check. Check. <laughs> make sure you avoid preaching to those who are present. Preach about sinners but not to them. Say they and not you. So that anyone should never take your subject personally and apply it to their own life, securing the salvation of their soul. Preach that the new birth is something God deposited in people, not a fundamental change in the ultimate purpose of their lives. Preach this predestination is such a way that results, preach it in such a way that results in fatalism and apathy on part of all the people. <laughs> Preach on every doctrine that centers the attention of man rather than Jesus. Teach every doctrine that makes man the center of God's attention rather than God, the center of man's devotion. Tell people only what God will do for them. Wow. Come on, are we hearing some of these things today? Yeah. yeah. Okay, because this is the message being spoken to the church. It's like a hijacking of the messengers. Avoid preaching about necessity of a radical change of heart through the, uh, through the truth revealed to the heart by the agency of the Holy Spirit. Let your supreme motive be uh, to be popular with all people. Then, of course, your preaching will be suited for that purpose wow. and not to convert souls to Christ. <laughs> okay, I love this one. Make no distinct points and do not disturb the conscience of your hearers so that they may become truly alarmed about their souls. Somebody gave me a great compliment the other day. When I was, uh, we were making a point whether we were debating um, whether I might be charismatic or not. Which I felt I wasn't. The other person may have felt that maybe I was. And they gave me a compliment. They said, well, every time you get up and speak, 
you messed me up for like a week or two inside. I just, I, something's not right. <laughs> what a compliment. Amen. Yeah. Because, all right, so in our home meeting, we, were, uh, we brought up the fact of uh, a mezuzah, uh, which in Israel is something that they stuck on the doorpost, which was their calling, in a sense. Uh, for Israel, they would, they would stick the Shema, Israel. Is that right? Hero Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. And they would stick that scripture in the mezuzah, stick it on their door, because that was their, their calling. That was their banner to the nations. We are the God, uh, we are the nation of one God. And so we challenge everybody from the family group to go out and find what is it specifically for their family, what is their calling, their purpose. Eric's pointed out uh, the fact that his, in general, is to excite, excite people about Jesus and his kingdom. Matt leads people into his presence. Mine may very well be just to shake people up. We're still trying to figure that out. Amen. I believe we sit in a body today in our generation that there's a bit of an identity theft within the church. I'll get to that later. <laughs> okay, so an identity theft. Why do we say that? Because as a body, when the nations look on, you just seen that? I just noticed. <laughs> so, I like this. Wait till later. First time that's ever been on the stage. Right? <laughs> so identity. The church, the body as a whole, when the when the world looks in on us, what do they see? What is our identity? Are we the healing of the nations? Are we the hope of the nations? Are we? We got to ask ourselves that. What is our identity? We ask ourselves specifically um, individually and as a group. What is our identity? I want to proclaim to you tonight that. The body has an identity theft problem. That's true. Why? We are called to identify with the sick, the lost, the maimed, the broken, the sinner. Yet we would rather stand up and profit. So our title tonight, A Bruised Reed and a Smoldering Wick, Where His Blood is the Measure. Identity theft. There's a fine line between sanctification and spiritual segregation. When we say that word segregation, there's a something on it that just disturbs us because of the wrong that has been done in it. Are we seeing that? Are we seeing a spiritual segregation instead of a sanctification? Us brought away from the world only to be prepared in the presence of the king in order to be put back into the world to turn it upside down. Isaiah 56, 1. You can turn there with me. There. A bruised reed and a smoldering wick where his blood is the measure. There. There. Isaiah 56, 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. I want to stop right there for a minute. Maintain, Shamar, to hedge up with thorns is what maintain means. To hedge up, to protect with thorns. <coughs> justice is Zedekah. And to explain this word, I want to read a story to you. Because this is a difficult word. It's like explaining sin. But there's so much within that word sin that we, we, are, we are struggling to understand it. What is sin in my life? Am I really missing the mark? When we really look at it, there's several aspects of our life that we're, that we're not hitting the mark. We're missing the mark. We don't even know it. Do we grieve because of that? I mean, you know, we just don't see it. God's just. It's a complex word, uh, Zedekah, justice. 
Listen to this story and it'll um, help you understand this. It's a scenario. Seven, uh, several years ago, a man, uh, a friend of mine named Dennis, suggested a hy hypothetical case, which has since been practiced in several thousand Jewish and non-Jewish high school students. This is a Jewish perspective because we read his Jewish Bible and serve a Jewish king. Suppose two, people, uh, suppose two people who have the exact same earnings and expenses are approached by a man in desperate need of food and money for his family. The first person, after listening to the man's horrible experience, cries, and then out of, out of the goodness of his heart gives him $5. The second person, although concerned, does not cry, and in fact has, a, has to rush away. But because, in, uh, because of his religious commands, uh, his religion commands him to give 10% of his income to charity, he gives the poor man 100 bucks. Who did the better thing? Uh, who did the better thing? The person who gave $5 from his heart? Or the one who gave $100 because his religion commanded it? We discover that 70 to 90% of the teenagers who uh, were questioned asserted that the person who gave the $5 from his heart did a better deed. Tough question. This response suggests that in secular society and in man in a whole, even charity is becoming somewhat a selfish act. Many people care less about the good their money is doing, less about what their actions are producing, in doing that, than everybody, I'm sorry, uh, than about how they feel giving it, right? Are you getting high off of giving? When we asked then the same students, who would they think had done the better deed if they were the ones who were in need? Many of them could not answer. Judaism would love you to give 10% of your income each year from your heart. But it suspects, however, that in the large majority of the cases, we're going to wait a long time. <laughs> We'd be late waiting a long time. And if your heart, they say if your heart catches up, good. Do it. Right. In the meantime, uh, good has been done. So do it. Wait for the feelings to follow. What is this? Okay, so this word justice. They call it a self-taxation. <laughs> what is this? To me, it's a suppression of the flesh. It's a suppression of the flesh saying, flesh, you're gonna, I'm gonna suppress you and make you do justice through this body. And because of that, the Spirit of God is gonna reign through me. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. First we were in prison to sin. Now it's backwards. We're in prison in the flesh and demanding justice to be done in our body. Maintain justice. All right. So my question, has there been an identity theft in the church? Some of you seem to agree. Yes. Thieves among the church. So what do I mean? This, this provokes the thought, okay. Do we owe this world something? Do we? I see, I see no's and I see yeses. Right? This is good. Okay, so I'm on to something. Do we owe this world something? Yes. Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt, maintaining justice, the continual debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, God's purpose. Yes. Because we've been forgiven so much, we owe much. Isaiah 56, 1, maintain justice. Eric's taught on Tikkun Alam. Repairing the world. This is found in your word. What do we say? Isn't he going to do that? <laughs> Through us. Maybe, just maybe, 
him repairing the world through you is actually repairing your world. See what I'm saying? It's on the journey that you get healed. This is a journey of salvation. It's not a one-time event. Yes. So on the journey, you're getting healed. Yes, that's right. It's his grace to you. Go, obey, and watch me heal you as you go. Amen. Amen. Matthew 25. We're not going to turn there yet. There's a day coming. You can feel it in the hearts of men. There's a day coming. Everybody knows it. Serving God or not, they know there's something pending in the soul of man. Something in the heart of man that says, something is coming. Something is coming. It's judgment. This is what the word declares. The world even says it. And don't even read the word of God. Judgment. To me, the, the time between Judgment Day and now is a time allotted to us to deal out justice to this world. The scripture is declaring to us that judgment was given over to God. The cross was set. Judgment Day is going to happen. And in between there, it's like we are in... God's glove. Dealing out justice to the world. Every time we do a kind act, every time we shed some blood for somebody, we enter into circumstance for somebody, we're dealing out justice to the world. This is what the words declared. We are justifying the blood of Jesus. We're saying yes, yes. It was worth it. Abraham Herschel said, Prayer can't save us. Our righteous acts cannot save us. But they make us worth being saved. Look at Isaiah 51, uh, 56 1 again. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. On judgment day, when we all stand before the Lord, the acts of men will be exposed and his justice will be revealed. Y'all chewing on this? Yeah. All right, all right. Good. Matthew, don't turn there. Matthew 4.17 says, uh, declares Jesus' first words in his earthly ministry will repent. For the kingdom is at hand. Luke 17, 11, Jesus tells us that the kingdom is within you. The potential is within you. The heavenly potential is within you. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus commands, go and make disciples. Go and teach them to be me through you. Replicas. How do you make disciples if you don't know your own identity? Always focused on our condition instead of our position. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. Believers, spiritual powerhouses, hope of the nations, always focused on our condition instead of our position with Jesus. Where the power comes from. Okay, here's another one. How do you make disciples if you don't know what they look like? That's the question tonight. What, is the, what does the harvest look like? What does your harvest look like? We're always focused on their position instead of their condition. How they got that way. Jesus never asked. When he walked up and he healed somebody, he did not go through a 30-minute, how'd you get this way? He'll go and send no more. Bam, power from heaven. Pastors know about this. They know how hard it is to reap a harvest sometimes because they got to pull out the weeds. They got to lock arms with people. They got to get weed out, weed out, weed out before they can actually harvest. Isaiah 56.10. Turn with me, please. 
Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds. Did you hear that? They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks their own gain. Come, each one cries. Let us give wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even far better. Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die. I grew up here in Ball till you fall. It's a terminology. It's the same thing, the same spirit through every generation. Eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. You know, I heard that from mostly people who was in prison. The prisoners, the lifers, because they would get out, they would live this way with the intention that I'm going back to prison. I'm a prisoner, I'm always going to be a prisoner. I'm comfortable there. So I'm going to live, drink, be merry, because tomorrow I might as well be dead. <laughs> the world looks at us today and sees the identity stolen. They, uh, they couldn't. We, we look from the inside, look around, and we see our identity being stolen. Instead of Jesus being crucified, buried, and resurrected among us, what do we see? We see Jacob. Okay, so the story in the Bible. Jacob. Jacob comes to his brother. Jacob wants his brother's birthright. So bad. He wants the blessing from his father so bad that he's willing to deceive him in order to get it. And to me, that's what I see today. This is what we're getting. This is what the world sees instead of what we should be getting. Instead of Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected among us. So I got an illustration for you. What happens? In our world today, Jacob comes. And he puts on his $600 breastplate of righteousness. All right? This is where I'm going. You right? He puts on his $600 blessed period of righteousness. Amen? He picks up his filthy rags instead of putting them down and stomping on them. He picks them back up. identity in order to receive a bless me, a blessing. Instead of putting on his identity, which was given from Christ. 
They're going to remember this word? Yes. Words must be good. All right, dude. Good. Make sure you get the volume up. What happens is they stand behind the pulpit and they teach people to profit That's right. instead of prophesy. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know there what I mean? You go. Yes. yes. Hmm. What are they doing? <coughs> Prosperity tombs. That's, That's it. Call it. <laughs> Making others in their own image. I'm going to stand behind a pulpit. I'm going to teach you to profit instead of prophesy. And I'm going to make you in my own image. And you're going to go and do the same thing. And you're not going to go and turn prostitutes out. You're going to go and you're going to turn more pimps out. More pimps. Eric and I went to a meeting on a uh, sex slavery issue within Houston. One of the things they said was the pimps, uh, they prey on the weak-minded. He's going to think of it. <laughs> so the pimps So the pimps are preying on the weak minded some of the facts there are disturbing. There's an anxiety. They prey on the weak-minded, the broken, and the poor. I'm trying to say that we'll never identify with the harvest if we look like this. Never. We'll never identify with the harvest unless we identify with the sufferings. We want more. We want more. How do you get it? Mm. Remember the video Pastor played? Sunday, I believe. God said, this is my son. Identifying with the harvest says, that's your son. That's your mother. That's your daughter out there in the harvest, on the streets, in the strip clubs, in the nursing homes, in the hospitals. Did you hear? Your sister, she's sick. Did you go visit her? Your brother, he's in prison. Remember our meeting of Houston being a, a breeding ground for pimps? Yes. Some of the facts there were disturbing. You know where they got their, uh, where some of these men got their prostitutes from? From the mental institutions. Mentally weak. Are you kidding me? Why? There was lack of maintenance in that place. Nobody put a hedge of thorns around that place. So these people who pray, these prosperity pimps, anything what you want to call them, were able to, able to infiltrate and snatch the weak-minded, the poor and the broken, people who could not do for themselves. Why? There was no watchman on the walls. God's not pleased with church any longer. We know that. God's calling us out of this thing into the reality of his kingdom. Amen. Into a church without walls. That's what I'm trying to tell you tonight. God's got something more than these walls in here. You come in here to get built up, to get fixed. 
for your world to turn upside down so you can go turn somebody else's upside down because they need it. Amen. A church without walls. It's been ringing in my head for months. A church without walls. A church without walls. What is that? That's like a, it's like a God without any restraints. Understand? A God without any restraints. A church with walls is like God with restraints. We need a God without restraints. We need to quit restraining God in our life, hindering the Spirit of God in our life. What if the gifts broke out in the streets? What if? What if God put something in you and want to prophesy to somebody on the street? What if you wanted to show the love of God out in the open? What if you wanted to open your mouth and actually preach a word in the open air? Yes. Instead of in four walls. How much blood have we shed? How much blood have I shed for his kingdom? The blood is the measure. Strangers. How much blood have we shed for strangers lately? The poor, the hungry, the broken, the homeless, the enslaved. The question is, are they hard to find? The question is not why, but when. Turn with me to Hebrews 12, 22. Come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose name names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel speak? It spoke guilt. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who did what? Warned them on earth. How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that which cannot be shaken may remain. That which cannot be shaken may remain. That scripture poses a question. When did you speak to me, Lord? It says it right there. When did you speak to me? When did you warn me? So that which cannot be shaken will remain. <coughs> He's installing eternal jewels inside of us. So when that day comes and everything is blown away, everything is shaken, what cannot be shaken will remain will be within you. Will our generation be another great awakening or will it be a great shaking? It's pretty evident. God's getting ready to shake something. Amen. I heard a Misty Edwards song that sticks in my head. It says, time, time is ticking by. And I can feel an explosion inside. As in the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Amen. An explosion. Man can feel it. It's that judgment coming. They will say, hide me. Hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide me. They know their deeds. When, Lord? When, Lord? When did you warn me? When did you speak to me? 
I'm going to play this video because I want to uh, go to Matthew 25. And I believe this guy's going to read it for us. I'm a 
Because it's the one thing that they couldn't produce in their own life, yet they wanted it. Please, they were saying, please give me that which I cannot produce myself. Can you identify with that? Have we ever stood before the Lord, ever asked the Lord, please put in me what I can't put in myself? Please give me what I can't produce. If you haven't, careful, Christian. It's what we are in him, dependent. If you have, that means you can identify with that. Then you have something to give. And we shouldn't sit on it. Amen? Amen. Matthew 25 gives us, gives us the sheep and the goats who both stood before the judgment seat. Isaiah 42, I believe, gives the prequel. Turn there with me, and that's our scripture for tonight. There. Forty-two, one through four. We there? Yep. Here's my servant, who in whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. We have two things, a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. Matthew 11, 1. We're not going to read it, but it tells us. That a reed represents a compromiser in the word. One who bends in order to survive. When the storms of life come, they bend in order to survive, a compromiser. Is this what God's son died for? Is this what Jesus was given us for? For a survival mentality? Do we have a survival mentality? Is it easier to do this instead of step out and do that? in order to receive and promote his kingdom. In Isaiah 42, Jesus did not break or uproot the bruised reed. The only way the reed gets bruised by getting is by getting beaten by other reeds. 
A singular reed can't get bruised because here bruise happened before the uprooting. So there's a picture of a bunch of reeds together. A reed's like a piece of sugar cane. It's a reed plant. It's like a big, thick weed. And the only way a reed could get bruised or beaten was with the other reeds bruised and beat him as they all compromised when the wind blew. When the storms of life came because you were running with other reeds and the storm came, you all compromised and you beat on each other. Anybody? Been there. Yes. <laughs> I've met those people. The compromisers. We've been one. And we got scars to prove it. There's somebody in here tonight that's been a compromiser in their life. Whether they were or whether they are. They've compromised the will of God and they got scars to prove it. This world is brutal. It'll eat you up and tear you alive. Hmm. The point I wanted to make, if you're a bruised reed, maybe you're a smoldering wick, this is God's DNA to you now. You've been through these things and this is God's gift to you in order to restore somebody else. <coughs> you understand that? Amen. When somebody comes into your life, you are compelled by the spirit of God that's put in you to identify with them, to enter into circumstances with them in order to restore them. This is what the spirit of God wants to do in you. Amen. Isaiah 42 also points out a smoldering wick. The candle consisted of wax, flax, and a fire. Wax, flax, and a fire. The wick was made out of something called flax. The picture painted here is a candle that the fire appears to be about dead. It's smoldering, it's called. It's easy to see. It's a candle. It's about out. From the outside looking in, it's about dead. It's stenching up the room with its smoke. It once was the fire burning bright, illuminating the whole atmosphere. But now it's about dead. But not quite. The fire lit the atmosphere in every presence, in everywhere its presence was, and it demanded darkness to flee. Some are like that. But at some point in time, either we turn to our righteous acts for our fuel, our source, your righteous acts became your focus instead of what the righteous acts were supposed to produce. You understand? God's using you righteously and you start focusing on your acts as though that's your fuel for fire. And what happens is you eventually burn out. Instead of realizing that those righteous acts were meant for somebody else. They were meant to restore somebody else. You are now a servant in the kingdom. <coughs> Revelation 19 tells me Jesus' bride was arrayed in fine linen. Which was made out of the same thing the flax was on the candle. The same priestly garments were made out of flax. The wick on the candle made out of flax. Come on, the word's trying to tie something together here for you. The fine linen garments was the righteous acts of the saints. You see it? If somebody in here maybe has become a smoldering wick, a burnt out candle, we gotta realize something. God does not desire to put you out. He desires to regenerate you. Amen. He desires to regenerate you in the something called uh, Ellerslie fire. This was the fire that the weapons of warfare were forged in. 
This is what he wants to put you through in order to restore you, to make you mighty in battle. There's something called the wick effect. Anybody heard of that? Yes. A wick effect is, a, in this case, would be a smoldering wick. It may seem to be burned out, useless even, but the wick effect says there's still an intense burning inside. There's an intensity in you. And at any time, without any outside help, you can self-combust into a mighty flame. That's what the wick effect says. Get ready. There's an explosion inside. You feel it? Yeah. All right, I do. <laughs> if that's not you, why not now? What are we waiting for for that self-combustion? There's something deep inside of you. Something's happened, and it's put your fire out. But God said he does not wish for your fire to go out. He desires that he self-ignites you. It's from the inside out, from the inside out. Listen, that's all. There's a massive potential right there. Something on the heart ready to explode. If that was you, then guess what? You just identified with your harvest. You just identify with what God has for you in this life to restore others by your testimony, by what's happened to you. This is your harvest. Something ready to explode? It's just me. I'm a bit monotone. I'm kind of deep thinker, obviously. I'm definitely a great dresser. <laughs> but is there something in us that wants to explode is there something in us that wants to self ignite okay look at your neighbor so I'm getting ready to explode yeah, that's what I thought I'm getting ready to ignite <laughs> getting ready to explode getting ready to ignite I don't know I don't know are we ready for that? Is this a hard word? It is to me. I mean, it's, it's humbling just for me to try to give a word because then you got to go and say, okay, can I live up to this? Can I live up to this? Jesus' ministry was in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord, the Lord has anointed me. That means the Lord has anointed you. Because you're, you're his hands and feet. To do what? To preach good news. To bind up the brokenhearted. Come on. Are we a hospital? Are we a, are we a place that somebody wants to come in because your heart is broken? God's been speaking to us in the last couple months. What is his word saying? He didn't ignite you. It didn't explode something in you in order for it to die back down. He put it in you. So that you could self-ignite right in your presence and be the illumination in your atmosphere. Amen. Set captives free. Release prisoners from darkness. Comfort those who mourn. Comfort those with broken hearts. Preach praise to the despair. Preach praise to the despair. This is opposite. You're in despair, guess what? You need to get some praise. Shake it off. Our identity, I believe, is realized in our harvest, what we produce. Then we'll realize. A doctor told me six years ago I had an anxiety disorder. You know what I told him? I told him Jesus is alive, and I walked out. But you know what? She was on to something. She was on to something. Is it not healthy to have a divine, heavenly Anxiety yes. for those broken, for those wounded. Amen. Here it is. I laid all that down. I told you I was going to tell you some of my thoughts that I wrote down. Maybe we'll preach, read some of the word. But you were born in rebellion. You were born, and at some point, you were rebellion. You rebelled against the Most High God. Everything in you was offensive to Him. Everything. 
You were born in shackles. You were born inside of a prison. At some point, you cried out and said, I'm a rebel. I'm supposed to be here. Mighty God, come in and save me. Save me from this thing that I am. What did he do? With a quickness, he came in and said, forgiven, washed by the blood. Amen. Washed by the blood. What did he do? He broke your shackles. All of a sudden, I'm free. I'm free. Thank you, Lord. I am free. Free to dance. Free to sing. Free to worship without sin. Freedom. He gave us. And what do we do? We dance. We dance all around the four walls of our prison. We live our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is so good. Prosper me, Lord. Give me my bling bling. Anything. Thank you, mighty God. I'm so free. I'm so free. And he says, you're not realizing something. You're still in four walls of a prison. You're still in four walls of a prison. Why? It takes a step of obedience to realize that the door is open. And that he has, the one he has set free, has set free indeed. You think you're free. You're living inside four walls of a prison. And he says, go out. Go out. Find my lost. Find my son. Find my daughter. And watch if I don't show you how to open the door of the prison. Watch if I don't show you the liberation that was given to you. The liberation that I paid for. That my son set you free. He's trying to show us in every righteous act. In every laying down of the life. Every time we go out and we shed blood. The blood is the measure. And we shed blood for somebody else. We enter into their circumstance with them. This is going to cost you something. It may even cost you your life. But this is the way out of that prison. This is the kingdom. Anybody agree with me? Yeah, man. Yes. Then ask yourself, what is it, Lord? Where is my harvest? Where is my liberation into your kingdom? It's in service. It's in servanthood. Tell me, Lord, when I walk out of these doors today, tomorrow, who are you going to put in my path? Matter of fact, where is my path? Am I just going to wait for it to conveniently cross my path? Or am I going to go find it? Am I going to, de am I going to eagerly desire after you? Am I going to seek after you? Am I going to go find the lost? Am I going to go repair the world through me? You anointed me for it. Think about it. What a life we live in four walls. We're talking about gifts breaking out in the street. God's anointed you for it. Preaching on the corners. Am I telling you to go set up on the corner? I'm telling you, go where God tells you. Did he tell you to go to a nursing home? Did he tell you to go bring that gift that he put inside of you and go share it with somebody? Are you waiting for God's ministry to happen in these four walls? Are you waiting because you got a musical gift? I can't wait till the Lord sets me free and lets me worship him. Are you going to go and share what he's put in your heart with everybody and expand the kingdom outside of these walls? A church without walls. A God without restraints. A God without restraints in your heart is a mighty God. Setting you free in this place. Amen? Amen. This is what the Lord's been putting on me. This is very convicting to me because the words that come out of your mouth, guess what? I'm going to hold account for on the day of that judgment. Help me, Lord. Mighty God, humble me. Show me the harvest. Let me not show up to you without a harvest. What's going to be in my hands for you when I come before you, King? What will I have to lay down to you? Thank you, mighty God, for saving me. Thank you, Father, for all the things in this world, the wolves of this world that you have saved me from that I don't even see. 
Amen. Thank you, mighty God. What can I do for you? You have set me into your kingdom. You have adopted me as your son. You have anointed me for a task. You have put my feet to your work. Show me, Lord, what can I give to you? Don't bless me. Bless you. Mighty God, what do you give a king? What do you give a king? He has everything. He desires to have your heart. Everything. Yet you give him this much. He wants to give you a gift tonight. He wants to anoint you for a task. He wants to set you free in this kingdom. Yet you won't get out your seat and get up enough courage to come get it. You going to get anything from him? No. These are precious, precious gifts. And you got to fight for them. 